three-year wine and this ocean and I'm eating homemade pesto pasta from a guy on a cliff. Like, what is this? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this episode of Tripology. I'm Alan and I'm here with the ever influential Adam. Oh, Alan, my darling, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I am ever so good, Adam. I described you as being influential because I consider our guest on Tropology this week to be exactly that. They are a Canadian living abroad in Germany, a content creator who shares their experiences exploring cultures and travelling to hidden gems all over the earth. Today we have Hannah Teslin. Hello. <laughs> Hello from Germany in Hamburg at the moment, which is currently 8 p.m. at night and super sunny. So we are really happy over here because in Germany, the weather is always unpredictable. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us at 8 p.m. at night in sunny Hamburg. It's such a joy to have you on the podcast. Me and Adam are great fans of your content and we thought what a great opportunity to have someone on the podcast to provide a little bit of a different perspective on travelling. Yeah, I'm super happy to be here and it's funny how we actually connected um, that my mom actually met Adam at one of her favourite things to do which is wine tasting at her <laughs> at her local wine winery just around the corner from her house and <laughs> I guess that's why I'm on here. <laughs> That's it. Real world manifestations of now digital connections. It really is cool. Yes. And your mum is incredibly proud of you. And when I told her a little bit about me and my interests, she said, oh, I think you should connect with my daughter. She she lives in Germany and, uh, you know, has got her own Instagram and all this kind of stuff. So it'd be nice if we can sort of talk about how you ended up in Germany originally. Yeah. So actually, 2014, I moved to Germany and... That was kind of abruptly after finishing my Bachelor of Tourism Management in Nanaimo, Canada. And that all happened because in 2012, I decided to do a Europe trip with some girlfriends. Went to, I think, 16 cities, all the big ones, Amsterdam, Paris, Rome, Florence um, in 2012. And then went had the finale in Tomorrowland in Belgium. And then in Tomorrowland, <laughs> I um, met a man there and then <laughs> uh, a year later I moved to Germany with hopes of making that relationship work and it did for six years and it no longer is so <laughs> that's my little story. Wow. We were just talking on an episode we did the other day about love being this evoker of travel is this kind of thing that for generations men and women have left their home countries to like pursue romantic relationships I think that's really cool that's your experience as well yeah and actually a lot of women experience here I meet so many women in Germany who originally moved here because of a partner and a lot of them aren't with them anymore but stayed which is awesome because that's what I did too um, but it definitely is something that will kick you out of the butt and push you out of your comfort zone because of your desire for someone which can be a good or a very bad thing <laughs> I imagine the person you were with is German, right? Yeah. And is he from Hamburg? Is that how you settled on Hamburg, the city, as a place to live? 
Yeah, I had absolutely no idea what Hamburg was or who was there before. I only knew Munich and Berlin, but I'm really happy that this is the place that I got to come to because Hamburg is a very underrated German city. It's really the best one, and I've been to a lot of German cities, and I'm maybe biased because I live here, but there's really nothing like this city in the world. So Hannah, we of course want to talk about your amazing content on Instagram. We want to talk more about your life in Hamburg. But Tropology is first and foremost a podcast about long-term travel and the travel community. Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about your relationship with travel prior to Hamburg. Like, had you travelled much before? Was leaving Canada something that you'd aspired to? Or was Hamburg very much your first taste of setting off into the world? Not exactly. So as I was growing up, I was traveling a lot um, as a young a teenager. Um, my parents lived in two different cities, so I had to travel often between the places. So I became quite independent, having to take buses alone and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And then I was also in a lot of um, youth groups. So I was actually in a Jewish youth group, um, which was always having different events in different cities around Canada and USA. And so when I was younger I'd always go and travel to these places and meet my friends in other cities and then I decided to study tourism um, in university and I did have a little travel to Mexico a little travel to the states but like nothing big and that's what made me want to do the Europe trip because I was like I can't study tourism without seeing any of the world and I chose Europe and that's what started it all. That's that's amazing. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention is that my dad was an avid traveler um, in the 70s. He backpacked around Europe um, with just his backpack hitchhiking from town to town. He had the greatest stories when I was a kid. So I think that like definitely inspired me subconsciously as well. Oh, I've got no doubt. I'm sure that, that that's absolutely where your thirst for travel uh, developed from. Yeah. And something that's just popped into my head and something that I think lots of our listeners will find interesting because a large number of our audience members are from North America. I've always wondered how Europe is viewed as you sort of grow up in North America. Is it somewhere that's kind of celebrated and lots of people want to visit or? For sure. So I'm actually from a pretty small town in Canada and it's you know, I wouldn't say village life. It's definitely got its own charm and culture. But when you look at Europe, you think of all these like fancy people and a different way of life and all these pretty buildings. Um, And that's definitely what I thought of Europe was the picturesque Europe, like, you know, Eiffel Tower and those cute little buildings in Paris and like a cappuccino and a croissant, (laughs) which is very much true. Yeah, and yeah, I remember it's... thinking of Europe something like on some putting on some high pedestal, <laughs> but of course, like that's what you see in the media and those nice pictures on Instagram. But when you're actually here, especially when you leave like the old town city centers, it kind of looks just like North America in some places. You have the old buildings from the eighties. You have like the random stores with absolutely no charm. So <laughs> it is nice here, but um, I think Canadians and Americans definitely put Europe on a pedestal because of what they see in the media, <laughs> and that's the, just the nice parts. Okay, so when you first kind of went traveling to Europe, you followed in the footsteps of your father and, and journeyed out of North America. Did it become apparent to you then? I think we've talked a lot on this podcast about the experience of first going traveling and how sometimes it feels like unlocking these cheat codes to life and it creates this experience of, okay, I understand now, this is what I want to do forever. Did you know immediately that you wanted to maybe construct a life outside of North America or was that something that came a bit later on? I definitely had those moments in Europe and I 
I really think like Europe is like the first stepping stone to travel because it's really not that far off when it comes to safety and culture, like if you're traveling other places in the world. So it's a good first stepping stone for travel. And I remember having those moments, I think we bought a bottle of three-year wine in Cinque Terre in Italy, which at the time in 2012, Cinque Terre was still kind of a hidden secret. Now it's not. <laughs> and we're sitting on an edge of a cliff just looking into the Mediterranean Ocean. I was just like, wow, like three-year wine and this ocean and I'm eating homemade pesto pasta from a guy on a cliff. Like, what is this? <laughs> and that's when it really spiked my interest that I had to keep doing this. And um, actually, when I moved to Europe, I got a job with three years later as a global event manager uh, for a tech company. And I got to travel all the time for free because <laughs> this company would pay for my travel because I did all their events. So I was going to Stockholm, Madrid, Copenhagen, Oslo, um, all the big cities, like two or three times over the six years I worked for them. And um, my life has always been travel when living abroad, basically. <laughs> Amazing. I really like that, Hannah, because I always encourage people on this podcast to take a, an active approach to their own life, not to live passively, but to go out and do things. And in doing so, you'll expose yourself to the experiences that you'll end up falling in love with. You know, meeting someone or getting a job, these are all things that can happen to us, but forcing ourselves to go out of our comfort zones on a plane to a new part of the world, to have those experiences, drinking wine at the seafront and eating homemade pesto. Those are things that we have to take an active approach to our lives in order to do. And they can inform the way the rest of our life looks. So it's really cool that you've kind of encouraged the audience to take those steps. For sure. And it's, it's the little things. And I have a lot of friends back home who traveled once to Europe and they traveled once to Australia and they won't travel again because either they don't want to make the money for it because it's not important or they think that they saw everything and I think this is the worst <laughs> excuse ever you okay you went to the five main cities in Europe but after living in Europe for um almost 10 years I don't go to the main cities anymore I go to little places that you probably haven't heard of and that have way less tourists and that's that's the real shit there like <laughs> i the other places is just a facade mostly i think yeah i would totally agree and i don't know how often how frequent your friends from back home either ask to visit you or maybe arrange to come and see you and how many times very little very little <laughs> that's such a shame i bet you're always trying to encourage them to come over aren't you I did for the first years, but now I'm, <laughs> now I've given up. And this is such a familiar story. I just realized that we all have different priorities in life, and some people's priorities are not to save money for travel and to make a Europe trip every single year. I totally understand. For me, I'm like, I don't get it. You haven't. Why, why aren't you coming? But some people, they just are happy where they are, and that's totally fine. It's really cool that I think a lot of people see travel as this quite cookie cutter thing that like mm -hmm. they see travel through the lens of Instagram and they think this is what travel looks like these are the places that you're supposed to go and at a certain point that becomes boring to them or they think they've they've done it 
And I like that you just touched on the idea that you developed your own philosophy to travel that kept it interesting for you. That is going to the places off the beaten track that you haven't heard of. You've developed a philosophy around travel that keeps travel interesting and entertaining and keeps it being this thing that's worth investing time and money into. I would like to encourage the listeners who are thinking about approaching travel as a lifestyle to do exactly that. Find the thing within travel that is interesting to you. For Adam, I know Adam's really interested in food and culture. For me, I'm interested in animal welfare and music. And and for you, it's about going places off the beaten track. And I, I think that having those individual philosophies keeps us grounded as we travel and stops travel from being this thing that ends up getting old, frankly. Mm, Yeah. So for example, I was in Turkey for the last three weeks. I just got back and I don't know how many travel stories you guys want, but um, this this is all. (laughs) It's a travel podcast. Yeah. But I can go off with a tangent of so many random travel stories, but um, all of the travel stories (laughs) on Instagram, obviously, since I have a lot of followers, uh, I'll post something like I'm kind of famous for getting my hair done when I go traveling. So like this hair with all this blonde, I got this done in Turkey um, and this cost 30 euros. And that obviously drew attention to my profile because we're like, what, 30 euros? And like the quality was so nice and people probably have something in their head what a Turkish hair salon looks like. And it looks like a fancy VIP place. And they're like, what? Um, And then I posted that video and then some guy saw that video who owns like an Instagram account about the region of where that hair salon was, he messaged me and said like, hey, I see you're in Kalkan. Do you want to come up to the mountains to this place called Berzikan and go for like and have a Turkish breakfast in the mountains? And I was like, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we met this guy who was actually Canadian who owns this Visit Kalkan um, Instagram account. And he took us through the Turkish mountains and showed a, a Turkish village and showed us like this old, you know, I forget the name of the types of people who live there, but they live there in the summer, they live in the mountains, and in the winter they go down by the sea because it's warmer then and cooler in the mountains. And so there's, uh, it's a really interesting village, but there was a restaurant there with local produce, farm-to-table Turkish breakfast, and the, the layout of this breakfast was amazing. Everything was so cutely plated with little flowers, and also everything was from the region too, like didn't travel very far to get to the table. And it was one of those things where just like, oh my God, like what am I right now? And you're like, what is this? And he's like, oh yes, this is rose water from Bulgarian roses. <laughs> We're like, this is your Turkish espresso coffee. You drink that with the rose water. We're like, okay. Oh, wow. Adam, you're the foodie, right? Well, I, I like food. Yeah. I've never experienced the joy of Bulgarian rose water. <laughs> So it's one of those things where it just happened to be posting on the inter- on Instagram and then someone saw it and invited me to this other experience, which I have to now make a vlog about. But that's what I love is um, when you're also traveling is how you can connect with people so easily on Instagram, especially with the audience I have. Of course, I have to be careful sometimes because there's creepers out there, so I'm always safe. But there's so many people who really want to like show you even a better time for free. Okay, well, those are two things that I'd really like to talk more about. One is the entrepreneurial spirit and how that affects all your travel experiences. Because to some extent, you're always thinking about your content whilst you're traveling, I imagine. Mm -hmm. And you obviously are able to leverage that to have very unique experiences. So please, like we can talk about that more. And then also you mentioned it's not always safe. I think it'd be really interesting for you to talk about 
the differences from your perspective of traveling as a female traveler? Because obviously, as experienced travelers as me and Adam are, we can only experience the world through our perspective as men. So it would be interesting if you could talk about that a little bit more as well. And I would just also like to add to that, um, because we're talking about Turkey, it's quite topical. I was living in Hong Kong up until 2020, and then I came back through Turkey on my way back to see my parents in London. And Hong Kong is somewhere that's incredibly safe. You sometimes see groups of children as young as five or six riding the metro by themselves. Okay, it doesn't matter if you're out at two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, drunk or not. It's, um, it's known as being a very, very safe place for people. Now, when I got off the plane and started walking around Istanbul after <laughs> Hong Kong, I noticed that the streets were very men-heavy. Can I mm. say that? You know, it's, I was confronted by it because it was very unusual for me having lived in Hong Kong prior to that, that um, situation. So I wouldn't say I felt unsafe. I was just very aware of how many men were in the streets and how many women weren't. Yeah, so I've been to Istanbul as well. And um, compared to Kash or Antalya where I was, uh, I would say like the way people dress in Antalya, cash is like someone would dress in Greece, like, and it's not really men heavy. I would say Istanbul was a bit different, but it really depends which area you're in. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to um, safety as a woman, especially as someone who's an influencer, I hate calling myself an influencer, but a content creator, which is better, um, I will never post anything that reveals my location once I've left it. So that's even like an Airbnb if I'm on the balcony and like making a video of the view of the balcony. That's even really sketchy because if someone knows that area, especially if it's a small town, you can definitely figure out like where that video was taken from. Mm -hmm. So I always have to be very cautious of what I'm filming and from where, especially if we go somewhere to like a beach I won't tag the beach until I'm home so people don't think to come there and try to meet me because uh, people, you know, I don't know. Some people can be really creepy <laughs> or some people have bad intentions. But there's really, I mean, in Turkey, in Cash especially, in Antalya, I never felt once unsafe. It was actually super chill. And our neighbors, we could see that our neighbors kept their door unlocked all the time. So kind of just... You could see that it's probably one of those places that you don't have to be uh, scared in. And when we would walk home, there was like this cute little baklava cafe on the way home. And beside it, there was a TV store. Um, and the owner would just leave the TVs like still on the side of the street. And the baklava place was still open. You could like just walk in there in the night. So I think they're pretty trustworthy with their citizens in cash there. But it sounds like you have like a very smart perspective on safety, particularly whilst making the, the content. It's like a consideration that you're weighing up constantly and doing all the right things to keep yourself safe. Yeah, definitely. And that goes back to like creating the content. So I didn't really start out as a travel. Like I always had the intention to be a travel blogger, but during the pandemic, I couldn't travel really at all. So I just started making videos talking about life and culture in Germany. And that kind of really niched me down to just talking about life in Germany, culture in Germany, travel in Hamburg. And I've 
been talking about this for two years now and I can't do it anymore. So I'm trying to like niche myself out of that to become more of a travel blogger, but still keep this like authentic um, realness to my content that people like. So I never wanted to be a travel blogger who wears like perfect cute outfits with, you know, big flowy hats and dresses and running away from castles like some princess, <laughs> which I've seen on Instagram. It looks great. It's It really gets all the likes. It's super cute, but like, the production of it, not me. I'm really more just like, hey, like, film me walking there. Okay, let's do this shot. Or I'll just do, like, me talking into my phone as a selfie. And I really just try to capture, like, a normal person traveling. <laughs> and that's what I think people like about my content is that it's not super perfected or... It's real. Yeah, it's much more accessible and relatable, I think. And it's not done with super high-quality gear either. I would love to have super high-quality gear, but for me, this is something that's too much to carry so I like this little microphone I have this little microphone I have a little light I have my phone <laughs> which I need to upgrade I definitely need to get the um the next one in September whenever it comes out but that's all I've been using and it's been quite <laughs> going quite well for me <laughs> I think that's the challenge of content creation on the road. Like with Tropology Podcast, I have a really tiny microphone because one of the prerequisites was that I could continue to travel with my all carry-on bag but mm -hmm. be able to make a podcast while on the road. There are definitely challenges that come with it, but the reward is obviously that you are authentic to what you would be doing otherwise. You're traveling in the way that you would ordinarily be traveling. And I think the audience can sense that authenticity. There's an authenticity in your content that I think is part of the reason why it is successful. Yeah, and that I'm also doing a lot about culture. And I do try to make my audience happy because they did first start following me because of Germany. And I will, you know, like throw some German content mixed in with like the travel content. So sometimes I'll make like a comparison. Like, you know, we were making like these this food in Turkey that was very similar to a German food. So I made a video how like, hey, this is actually like similar to a German thing. And people are like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. Like as soon as I mentioned Germany, people are like, yay. <laughs> Which is annoying for me. But slowly but surely I will get away from this topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw very recently as well, there was a, a video um, I'm not sure how long ago it was posted, but it included your lovely mum. Mm. And it was a sort of the experiences you go through as being an international or an expat whilst living in another country, specifically in Germany. Yeah. And you were about to cross the road. Mm. And your mum looked back at you and went, mm -mm -mm. <laughs> and, you know, it's those types of um, cultural differences and faux pas, shall we say, that uh, you, you kind of only experience as an international or an expat living in a different culture. Yeah, and these videos went so viral. I don't know, it was some like magic potion of like my mom, the sound we are using, plus the different topics. Like those went crazy viral. And I think a lot of people can relate to them too, but those, those were super fun to make. And unfortunately, when my mom left, I didn't make them anymore. And people were like, oh, we, we need more. And I was like, no, sorry, I'm done. <laughs> well, I'd really love to talk more about how you connect with your audience, you know, from content creation to traveling around to living in Hamburg. There's a lot more to talk about. I think we'll pause for a moment to go on a brief meditation break, and then we'll be back to ask you a bunch more questions. We'll see you in a bit. Ah, there we are. A lovely break and our conscious minds back and ready to talk some more. Hannah, you mentioned then briefly about 
how your audience engages with you. You said that they, you know, sent you messages saying, oh, we miss your mom and the content and all of that sort of stuff. How aware are you of your audience when you're making content? Do you have an image of what a, a Hannah Teslin audience member looks like? For sure. So in Hamburg, I rarely go a day where I don't get recognized anymore. So I'm Amazing. kind of... <laughs> Even today on the bus, I, I literally got back from traveling yesterday and I went to go see my clients. So I'm not a full-time content creator on the side. I actually am a freelance event manager. So I have clients in event management. And I was on the bus to uh, go see a client and then this one woman just looked at me and there's like a certain look where I'm like, oh, she knows me. <laughs> Gives, they give you like the side eye and like this weird like smile because they want to talk to you. And um this one was like, oh, I follow you on Instagram. And she was there with her newborn baby. She's like, I just came here last year and I saw your tips about living in Hamburg and living in Germany. Like they helped me so much. And I get this a lot. And I'm always so happy and surprised when they tell me this. And it's also very weird for me because I try to be very much myself on my videos. But sometimes people think I'm like really extroverted and I'm actually not. I, it's it's mostly like I'm, I'm introverted extrovert. So when people meet, see me in public, sometimes I'm like really quiet because I don't know what to say. <laughs> or I'm just like, oh, thank you. Like, So I do know what my followers look like. And that's really nice. And I do get a lot of responses to my videos and comments. And people are always surprised when I respond to their messages, which I find really cute because I'm like, I, of course, I will. if you write me a message, I'll respond. And people are like, oh, my God, you responded. And I'm like, I'm really not like who you think I am. <laughs> like literally sitting here watching Netflix on my couch, reading my DMs and <laughs> responding to people. I mean, I don't respond to everyone. Some people are really creepy or like say like, hey, you have nice feet. And I'm like, really? Like um, you would think as like as an influencer, I rarely post pictures where someone can see my feet because people actually send messages like this. It's really stupid. This is something like being a woman. But mm. yeah, it's not just about like your cleavage now. It's like also you can't show your feet. Feet have come forward to the to the same status as cleavage in modern society. What has the world come to? Yeah, exactly. There's a market for it. <laughs> yeah, there is. And I'm sure I could um, use that more to my advantage, but no. Um... <laughs> I like how your content is at the moment. It seems more authentic and certainly more travel-based. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it's it's good. And I do get tons of comments on videos. Sometimes I cannot keep up. Uh, especially when they go viral. Like I had one video with over 50 million views and hundreds of comments. And I had to turn the comments off because like I couldn't, I would post another video and I couldn't see the comments from that because there was just way too many on this video. Wow. And I have thought of hiring like an intern just to reply to comments on my behalf. But then I think that's kind of fake. And I've, I can notice when other creators do that because you can tell it's not really them anymore. Um, so I just do my best. <laughs> it's difficult. I've always said that when, when you're traveling, you expose yourselves to more variety of humanity than you would in any other walk of life. You know, mm -hmm. traveling for the last eight years, I've met more people than most people get the opportunity to meet and of all different types and all different cultures it really is one of the best things about travel in my uh, opinion 
But when you talk about numbers like in the millions, like you're exposed to on social media, it's difficult to even have a, a grasp of what that looks like, you know? Mm. Regardless of how many people I've met traveling, it doesn't approach those sorts of numbers. So obviously you're just, you're, you're on, on display to a, such a breadth of humanity. Yeah, and I mean, as a creator, you're always making content and sometimes you, your your ego gets like hurt when you post a video and it gets 5,000 views instead of, 30,000 views. And then I really have to think to myself, it's still 5,000 people. Like, my God. Um, you get too concerned about numbers sometimes too, which is funny because you think, okay, you have 100,000 followers. What does that look like? How many stadiums of the biggest soccer stadiums is that? Mm. It's way too many. And you think, who are all these people? Um, and you really, I try to stay like very humble about it. So people always say, I've been to a lot of like influencer events and things like this, and I'm not the typical influencer like someone would think about. And they're like, oh, like how many followers do you have? I'm like, oh yes, like close to 95,000. They're like, you have 95,000? I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? <laughs> of course, but yeah, it's, it's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Well, aside from your magnificent head of hair, <laughs> uh, given that you, you are getting recognized around Germany and elsewhere, it would be interesting time to talk about any advice you might have for sort of a budding travel blogger or content creator, because those sorts of psychological aspects of being recognized in the street, it's, it's not something that's taught or that you can train for, I imagine. No, and I have to say that as much as my content, I really like my content, I was also in the right place at the right time with my content. So I started on TikTok in the pandemic, while well, everyone was at home on their phones and a lot of other people spent their time doing other things during the pandemic, I spent my time making videos because I was bored in a 30 square meter flat. And this was also when TikTok became super popular. So my audience grew super, super quick. So now is is not as easy to grow as quick as I did. But I think my biggest tip is staying super authentic. This is more important now than the perfected filter on your pictures, the perfect um, angles or like the perfect shots, um, especially if you're making videos, like the more authentic you are, people are more into this content now and being consistent. So being consistent means, okay, if you really want to grow your Instagram account, not posting like once a week, but really taking it seriously and being like, okay, this is my hobby and also my job. So I have to create this content regularly and not create it only for what you want to make. You have to think of what your audience wants all the time, which is hard because obviously then it can be annoying because it becomes something that's not always what you want to do. But the more you can kind of play into your audience interests as well, the more quicker your followers are going to come. That's really cool. I think with, with Tropology, we, we have a smaller but committed audience of people who are kind of at a very specific point in their life, right? Like the, the vast majority of our audience are people who are thinking about or about to go on or are already on these long-term travel adventures. And I think it's nice to, to know that that's where people are at. I think a lot of our audience are going to relate to you in that there's a significant portion of our audience who are female travelers who are interested in a digital nomad lifestyle and I think that you will have a lot of really cool advice to give them I suppose maybe it's a very very difficult question but if you had 
three or four words of wisdom to people who are <laughs> belong to that category, people who are around your age, female, going to, to travel. Maybe they're pursuing romance and moving to a different country. Maybe they're interested in getting into the content creation space. I think they would just like to hear from you just like a, a, a few things, like how should they hold themselves psychologically? How should they pursue a life as a digital nomad? Mm. Is there anything specific you'd like to say to that very specific group of people? Yeah, so I would say I'm also like a part-time digital nomad. My home base is in Hamburg. That keeps me sane, but I have the freedom to work wherever I want. But with anything, moving abroad, becoming a digital nomad, you're not going to have fun if you can't go out on your own and be independent and go try new things. So I've met a lot of women who moved abroad and for partners and a year later I've seen them in my comment section like wow you're so independent how you how are you have the confidence to do all this stuff and it's because I you know just pushed myself out there to try new things and yeah there was a lot of anxiety involved especially when it came to doing something in a second language but as soon as I got over that and just said you know what who cares if I am not fluent in German I will go to that German Pilates class or go to that pottery class even though I might be the person who has to ask twice what the person said or get an English translation um, that's how I've been so successful abroad it's because I just do things um, not think too much about it and also put myself out there a lot and I'm also always trying to connect other people so when I'm at an event, even if I don't find a connection with that person, it always helps me to like connect them with someone else. And um, that helps a lot for building your network too. Do you think that's an innate aspect of your personality? Or do you think that's something that someone can learn? If there's someone who's more introverted, but interested in traveling, do you think that they can learn to connect people and to, to be more like that? Yeah, I think definitely um, it's something that's not everyone's going to have easily. It's something that will take some courage, but I think it comes with the travel job. So, of course, your first trips, you might be just sitting in your hostel, kind of being like, oh, should I go ask those people what they're doing? I remember having those moments being like, okay, those people over there look fun. Like, should I just go and sit with them? <laughs> And you'll think about it and then you'll just go do it. And it's totally a lot better. And if you don't do those things, then you'll just end up being alone, which is also fine for some people in the start. Just stepping out of your comfort zone is what I preach to everyone all the time. Yeah, I think action rather than passivity, right? I, I fundamentally believe that there is a skill to travel. Mm -hmm. There is a skill to setting up a life in a new place. Sure. And, and it's not something that's necessarily innate. But I do think it's something which is fairly easily learned for most people. It's just not a skill that we practice or train in everyday life. Like most of us get very entrenched in our hometowns or our university towns or wherever we end up working. And then we never really have to flex the muscles of meeting new people and starting new relationships ever again. I think that's like a, a, a really common part of the human experience. And the thing that travelers are really good at is making connections, asking questions, going and putting yourself out, out there and making new friends. And I do think that is something that you can learn to do. But like Hannah says, it does take a bit of courage. Yeah, I think that it's important to, you know, sometimes we need to remind ourselves to get out of our own way. There are certain situations when the only thing that's stopping us is ourselves. 
Definitely. And I think even, you know, how I made my first group of friends here in 2014 was posting in a Facebook group like, hey, like I think someone said, hey, I'm new in Hamburg. Who do you anyone else want to go get cocktails? And I was like, okay, like I am here for a year now. I have maybe like two or three friends, which were friends from my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend. And I was like, I have to go out and do something on my own or else it's like it's just going to stay in the small circle. And I did. And actually two of those girls from that group are still my friends today. Uh, we have like a core. <laughs> and then I also in the same month. So when you move abroad or become a digital nomad, I think digital nomad will be harder because you don't have such a ground grounding spot like I do. But um Everyone thinks if everything's going to happen in the first year, you're going to get a good job. You're going to have a good friends. Your relationship with maybe if you move forward is going to be amazing or you're going to have lots of money. No, <laughs> it's like a step-by-step process and you have to figure like one thing at a time. So for me, at first it was finding a job that paid me an okay salary. And then it was finding friends and then it was finding a better job <laughs> and then having better friends. And so I think after eight years, like, I have all those things now, um, but some people think it's just you're gonna have everything in the first year, and that's definitely not gonna happen. And it sounds like you really have a, a great life set up in Hamburg now with a friendship group and and a career and content creation. Is there anywhere outside of Europe maybe that ignites the travel passion in you? Because right now I have a, a bunch of ideas of places that I want to go to next in my tripology diary. I have all these locations that kind of enliven that spirit. Like I really want to go to South Asia and, and travel around. And these are the things that get me really excited. Is there a place, a specific place that evokes that feeling in you that you think one day in the near future, I have to get to here or there? Yeah, so I have never been to like South America or Central America, actually. And it's one of those places that I've always wanted to go to. But I think the fact that I don't speak any Spanish has always kind of given scared me a bit on that one. So I think I've done a lot of Europe. There's still so much to see here. But if, if I'm going to leave the continent, I think I'd want to definitely do like Costa Rica or Colombia, Chile, like these places I think I'm really going to like. I just have to <laughs> brush up on my Spanish skills first. Well, South America, I think, was the continent I had most fun in. I lived there for a year. Mm -hmm. I traveled all over South America. And we joke often on the podcast about my Spanish being fairly appalling. So it definitely opens more doors if you can speak Spanish. But you're bilingual already, so you would learn Spanish super quickly, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if German's going to help me much with Spanish, but we'll try. Well, you could always move to Berlin and learn Spanish. <laughs> I know that there are lots of Spanish people in Berlin. Yeah, or that. So talking about being able to speak German, how long did it take you to learn German, and was it a focus of yours for a long time? I mean, I like to think that I can speak German, but really my level is... I think not where it should be for being here in Germany for 10 years. I've kind of put myself in an English. I'm completely honest. Like I kind of ended up in an English bubble because my original, my first jobs, I was all English speaking. Most of my friends are international people. Um, my relationships have been mostly English speaking. <laughs> so I've learned. I'm always ending up in English bubbles as well. It's hard to avoid them sometimes. Yeah. So the English bubble is hard to pop. But I think my German level is 
really good that I can understand German movies, I can understand German conversations, I can speak enough here that I can convince people that I can speak German. But when it comes to like having long in-depth conversations, um, no, that's definitely not a no-go. But I learned actually the most when I was single. So I was single for three years in Hamburg and I had to do everything by myself here. So in, you know, customer service kind of stuff is mostly done in German. So, you know, I had to call the Wi-Fi people or had to set up some contracts for my flat or had to do absolutely anything. I had to do it in German because there was no one to do it in English for me or in German for me. And that's when my German got good is when I really was just like put into an area where I had to speak German. And I think the best where place I learned German was the fact that I was in the German healthcare is amazing. And I had to have a surgery two years ago. And after the end, I was put into this like rehab clinic to like get better, which is a whole nother story. And I was there for three weeks. And there were not, none of the doctors or nurses spoke any English. So I had three weeks where I only could speak German. Also, all the other people at the rehab center only could speak German. So I was like, my German went from like <laughs> to five to like an eight pretty quickly. And yeah, I think immersing yourself in the language is probably the best way. Talk to us a little bit about the other things that you like about, about Hamburg. Like, uh, are you entrenched in any of the music culture there or the food culture? Hamburg is a city that has changed a lot since I first moved here in 2014. I think it was still very classic German city in 2014, very stuck in its German ways. And since of the influx, I'd like to think of international people and also the influx of outside cultures. The city has become absolutely everything you need in a city, other than the fact that it's in Germany and German is a first language. But if you learn German, it's even better. Um, you have the cutest little neighborhoods. You have lots of great gastronomy. Like every little neighborhood in Hamburg has its own flair and charm if you want like berlin style neighborhood you can go to a place called sternschanze if you want something more like munich fancy schmancy you can go to like winterhuda um then you have a beautiful lake in the middle of the city and the river outside of the city so it's so green here like the in the summer and spring like if you fly over hamburg it's just green and so many beautiful big parks um, and a lot of really good industry, a lot of good jobs as well. And the city is also, as I said, it's changed. Um, it's someplace, it's very westernized now. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but you have everything you would have in like Vancouver. Do you think you found your forever home there? Do you think that's where you'll remain and use that as a base to go to places like South America, but you'll remain in Hamburg? I think my network here is so good and I have such a good life here that I couldn't imagine leaving other than if it was to move to a small town in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> do you still feel like you have connections in Canada? How do you feel when you come back here? Is this kind of your spiritual home now or do you one day imagine that you will return here? I like to think I'm going to return. It's hard to imagine leaving Hamburg, but I do think that I think I sh would want to live back in Canada someday, just not. 100% sure where because it has to check out all the boxes <laughs> that has Hamburg has. So it might take some time. There we go. So from creating content in an apartment during lockdown to becoming a social media sensation and inspiration to travelers all over the world, Hannah Teslin, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. 
fans of Tropology can head to at Hannah Teslin on all social media to view the sort of content that you put out there. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing your perspective. I really hope we get a chance to connect again in the future. Of course. And I think I'll see Adam in Canada in like a few weeks, actually. Yeah. It's going to be great. We can make some videos together. I mean, my hair's not as curly as yours, but I'll um, <laughs> we'll give it a go. He has got some curls, Hannah. I need you to tame those curls for me. <laughs> They're actually more tame now. In Turkey, there was higher humidity and it was just like poof. But yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> a couple of good sound bites there. Amazing. Well, I'd like to invite you, Hannah, to talk with us in the Lost and Found section. It's a podcast after the podcast. It's exclusive to our Patreon subscribers. Mm -hmm. That's patreon.com forward slash tropology podcast. And as always, we invite the listeners to email us any travel questions, stories, or just comments you want to make to me and Adam. That's at tropologypodcast at gmail.com. And we're on all social media at tropologypodcast. Adam, I don't know about you, but the present is starting to feel like a very heavy burden indeed. And I want to blast off into a a bright future. I'll see you all next week. Thank you, Hannah Teslin, for appearing on Tropology Podcast. Thank you, Adam, as always, for being on Tropology Podcast, and to the listening audience for listening to yet another episode. We'll see you all next week. Thanks ever so much, Anne. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.